Section 31 of Mrs. Diamond. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ruhi Huck. Mrs. Diamond by Anne Isabella Thackeray Ritchie. Book 3. Chapter 7. Pray, Moreau. As they came jogging gaily along the lane, Joe leaped up in the air, broke a branch of lilac from one of the overhanging trees, and coming up to his stepmother, flung it to her. Take it home for me, said Joe. Put it in your parasol. I'll try and paint it when I get back. And he hurried past her to overtake the others. Don't you think he has great talent, said Susanna with a thoughtful look, which brightened as it fell on Joe's red shock head. He must work on and find out for himself what he is capable of, said Du Parc, looking not at Joe but at Susie herself with unconcealed kindness and admiration. Even for Susanna, or perhaps because it was Susanna, to him the sweetest, fairest woman he had ever known, he could not say more than he felt. Her concern seemed to him next to his own, the most important things in all the world. Perhaps his own also gained in importance from her coming, her interest in them. They were reaching the gate where the sentry was standing, armed to the teeth, and Susie, with a woman's disregard of lawful authority, drew a fold of her dress over the lilac blossom. The iron gates led by a lane to the village green of Sevray, where the children were at play and where many people were coming and going while old people talked in the sunshine. The green led to the river, spanned by the bridge soon to be the scene of so many desperate encounters, of unavailing appeals and hopeless parleys, the boundary line between victory and defeat. Who could have realized that day? The piteous tragedy, already near, while the children danced and the peaceful elders rested at the end of their long day's work and the young people advanced gay with the mirth of the hour? Neither Joe nor Tempe, as they went along, noticed a strange-looking figure, who, however, seemed greatly interested in them. He was a tall, pale man in a workman's dress, with long, fair hair reaching to his shoulders. He had been resting on a beach. He got up, seeing Du Parc, and laid his hand heavily and familiarly upon his arm. Ah, at last, I hoped we might meet, he said, drawing him a little aside. Then quickly and excitedly, hast thou heard the news? The police have paid a domiciliary visit to Papa Caron. They found nothing except some of thy calligraphies. Happily, art is privileged. The commissaire was told that thy goddess of liberty was the portrait of the late Madame Caron. I have seen Lebri, the stranger went on. He tells me Dombrowski is in Paris. He will be in the Rue de la Hotte tonight. Are we to expect you? Mademoiselle, vous et vous said the long-haired man somewhat familiarly with a stare at susie du parc looked at his acquaintance with a very haughty air which took him of the long hair somewhat aback lebri had much better be looking after his family than meddling in things he does not understand said du parc and turning away without a further answer he rejoined mrs diamond and almost hurried her way is that an artist said susie rather awe-stricken an artist no that is one of our rising politicians said the young man with a shrug of the shoulders as they walked on i confess that if it was not for madame caron's sake i could gladly knock him down for his impertinence to you 
his name is jourday he is one of the best of them but ah the whole thing seems like a bad dream now as i walk along by your side cried du pare suddenly forgetting his reserve and realizing the utter gulf the absolute distance the impassable barrier which divided him from the sweet and gracious being whose looks rested so kindly on his whose voice filled his ears whose every word and motions seemed to him touched with peace beauty goodwill upon earth some harmony almost more than human and was all this to be put aside thrust away for what for a hopeless cause a nightmare for these dirty hands holding out a grotesque semblance of liberty and justice then he thought with a bitter pang of self-reproach of his dear old master and friend of that lifelong sacrifice and devotion that patient following of truth in its many disguises and that aspiration after greater things than tranquillity and ease suddenly shaken and stung back to the reality of life max put a hard and dogged control upon himself for the rest of the walk he would not let himself think and yet he could not enjoy the present any more mrs diamond wondered what had come to him his manner his voice his face had changed he seemed no longer her friend and companion but one strange and far removed from their simple merry-making the others saw no difference and came up laughing and in high spirits when max called to joe to hasten or they might not get their table at the inn where they were to dine they turned down along the river side again and pesh miraculeuse stood at a silver turn of the cn and the hungry excursionists were coming up from various sides to the many tables which were set ready some in the dark dining rooms down below some on a broad balcony or terrace from which the river could be seen floating into those glorified distances where the sweet resounding woods and visions through which they had been passing lay hidden in the sunset the lady in the camisole sitting in the little lodge below smiled an affable welcome and put out five ivory counters for her guests will you take your entrance tickets said du pare holding out four of the counters and what will you do says mr bagginal rather relieved to find max was not to be at the dinner i am not coming i must go back he answered susy exclaimed in disappointment max heard her exclaim as lifting his hat he turned away quickly he could not explain to them all that when he had thrust his last napoleon into madame lebris trembling hand he had given his share of the feast to the poor woman who had appealed to him as they started at the time he had regretted the sacrifice now he was glad to give away his mood had changed he was in no difficulty about his meal there was always a loaf of bread and a bottle of wine in his mother's cupboard at home and he now started to walk back to the villa and to partake of this frugal repast before visiting his protege on his way to joining caron at the appointed place dombrowski had been sent on some mission du pare knew not what only that it was of vital importance to the cause so at least caron's friends affirmed max himself had little faith in these mysterious expeditions and conspiracies he was ready to do his part even to go on missions if need be at all events to help those that wanted help to send a share of his own strength and goodwill to others but he had no fancy for plots and secret societies and it may as well be explained at once that 
although he lived in the company of schemers and plotters he himself belonged to no secret societies his godfather had promised the sturdy madame that max should not be involved caron was scrupulous to keep his word and his promises he was absolutely trusted and respected introduced by him max was welcomed although bound by no promises he was even courted by many of those who were able to see his utility to their cause if he once heartily joined any one of the many cliques and brotherhoods which were secretly growing round about but in truth his mind just then was full of other thoughts and preoccupations and one's own experience perforce comes before that of others however unfortunate as he walked along in the dusk by the riverside towards home something seemed calling to him calling from the little eating-house where the lights were beginning to kindle up she's going from you said a voice who knows she might remain she might be yours but she's happier as she is and you would not have things altered he knew enough of the world to realize that susy and her surroundings were utterly unsuited to him and to his life max was not over diffident modesty was not one of the qualities with which nature had endowed him and something in susanna's eyes and voice and manner told him that to her he was beginning to be no less interesting than she had long been to him poor child she had better go before she knew the truth return to her home her comforts her religion her friends the reverence in their white ties to her narrow prejudices her well-mounted household hie thee to a monastery what had induced this lamp from the flock to come in innocence and thrust itself into his guelalu dear woman she should go as she had come she should not know how near he had been to asking her to make the sacrifice of peace and home and country and consideration for she might accept me she is a woman just like any other so reasoned max who was himself a man just like any other meanwhile susanna sat silent in her darkening corner also changed and silenced disappointed and angry with herself for the difference she found in everything wondering why du pare had left them so abruptly where he was gone what his going meant the western light shone on still but with long radiations the fisherman's boat catering for the guests pushed out across the river to a reservoir of trout the oars flapped with a sad chilling sound tempy's spirits rose as susie's fell and she and joe and mr bagginall joked and laughed with an extra gaiety and noisy enjoyment which jarred upon poor susie sitting lonely and motionless with all the fading glory of the sunset for a background to her depression it was the same thing on board the steamer in the evening gray where their youthful sports offended not only sally but a little french couple sitting by the wheel anglais said the man barbaret hissed the pretty little lady to joe's immense amusement end of section 31